A reading from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. For it, as, for it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more talents saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his, but his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who, with the ten talents. For to all those who have more, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, I earnestly hope that through your spirit, we might hear in this scripture what you would have to say to us, these your people in this your particular time and place. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For it is, for it is, such begins Christ's parable of the talents with a declaration from Jesus that seems to indicate that the words that will follow will be speaking to truth. And to reality. For it is as if, he continues, seems to indicate then also that while he, what he may be saying is true, it will be so in an indirect, allegorical way. Such is the nature of parables. In this sermon, we will probe two fundamental questions that appear to be at the center of this imaginatively truth-telling parable. And the first of these questions goes straight to the heart of faith. Who is God? 
And secondly, how do we live joyfully with this God and with all who share in God's life both now and in the age to come? Lightweight questions. We are aiming high in this sermon this morning. So let's begin with the first question. Who is God? This fundamental query defines, in many respects, our existence. Because if we are what we eat in a dietary sense, we become what we seek in a spiritual one. If we worship a God that we know primarily to be about judgment, then we are prone to be judgmental. If we see in God great compassion, we are more likely to look compassionately at ourselves and others. What we choose to look for often becomes what we find. So it behooves us from time to time to revisit and clarify what we think we are looking for and seeing in God, lest our looking for golden calves turns us into fool's gold. Who is our God? Because the parables are metaphorical, a more accessible way of asking this might be who or what is God like? And this morning I will say and offer this, for it is as if our God is a God of free trade. Now this leads us to the sermon title today, which unexpectedly became quite a topic of conversation among our staff this week when we could have been talking perhaps of other things. The case for free trade. Only in a neighborhood like this one could such a title capture anyone's attention. (laughs) And truth be told, that's exactly what I hoped, and it's exactly what Larry jokingly feared might happen. (laughs) That such a biased policy pronouncement on our front sign would incite a riotous crowd of labor union activists, God bless you if you are here, And corporate lobbyists, may that blessing also accrue unto you, (laughs) to descend upon our sanctuary with their combative signs and riotous partisan slogans shouting at one another on the either side of such a contentious issue. Fear not, friends, because this sermon, this reflection on free trade will not instigate any shouts of, we hate NAFTA because we have to. Or, who's down with TPP? Because, yeah, you know me (laughs) to be a preacher who will not hesitate from using Trans-Pacific Partnerships or 90s song lyrics to make a sermon illustration. Be that as it may, let's explore what free trade might mean in the life of God and what it might not mean. And I'll leave it to you to decide the impact of that discussion on public policy. Number one, I would say that free trade is not the opposite of costly trade. 
When the master of this story gave talents to three of his servants, he handed them vast sums of money. Supposedly, each talent was worth the equivalent of 15 years of an ordinary worker's wages, such that the eight talents given represent 120 years' worth of salary. Now, we don't need to really worry about the precise value of this amount. We just need to know it is a staggering sum. Kind of like saying a hundred billion kajillion dollars. Our word for talent that we use in our everyday speech today, referring to a skill or a proficiency, comes from this Greek word for talent in this text. And we know that when someone has a talent that matters to them, it does cost them. It costs them great amounts of their time, of their energy, and often their money. Trading in talents demands a deep investment, a cost that the master of this parable seems freely willing to bear, even though he knows all too well that he may incur a great loss. And so, if free is not the opposite of costly, it is the opposite of constrained. Free trade in the life of God is freedom for the other instead of freedom from the other. It's the willingness to extend the handshake, to open oneself and engage the other out of one's own autonomy in such a way that relinquishes control, that opens up possibilities that may not be predicted or sometimes desired. The master of this story could have taken his money with him on the journey, could have kept his funds and held them close to the vest. He could have done exactly what the third servant did in the story, which is to say, bury his talents and therefore involve as few other partners in his investment as possible. But instead he chose generously to extend his engagement, his life outwardly, rather than hiding inside. Too often, I think, we, we think of responsibility as being synonymous with being cautious, of playing it safe. This is what the third servant thought responsibility meant. This is why he buried the money in the ground, which was, in that culture a legally established way to protect oneself from liability in the case of theft. But the way the story ends with that third servant receiving not praise, but rebuke in harsh terms, indicates that in free trade, responsibility without risk may in fact be irresponsible. Free trade is not necessarily safe but it should be fair. It should bring mutual benefit to both parties. If I came to any of you and said, here, I'll trade you my $5 for your 10, that would be a bad trade agreement, one to which you should lobby against loudly. And in this parable, the trading that occurs is not this one-time transaction or a zero-sum game where the master wins and the slave loses. 
On the contrary, it's a a long-term relationship where both parties gain and are drawn together at a deeper level. Hearing this parable read again, even after I've been reading it a lot this week, makes me aware of how uncomfortable, and we have to take a little detour here, but name the discomfort that we feel when we hear scriptures refer to the institution of slavery to illustrate life with God. Every day this week, every day this month, it seems the news has brought us another report of the abuse of human power and authority. And then we are right to not want to see God or hear of God in images of slaves and masters. But Christ did tell parables in order to, at times, create discomfort. A discomfort that focuses the listener's attention on something they may not have seen. And so I hope that our discomfort in hearing these terms might help us to see that the free trade between the master and the servant actually functions to blur the line between master and slave, between powerful and those being exploited, and shifting the relationship from hierarchy and control to mutuality and freedom. Did you hear what the master said twice to the servants who successfully doubled their money? He said, well done, good and trustworthy servants. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, the unjust imbalance of power between master and servant is still there for those looking for it. But the great distance between master and servant lessens here as the master invites the servant into a shared space, into the place of joy. The master does not cast the servants away, but invites them in. Later in Scripture, we would hear the Apostle Paul Write that there is no longer in Christ Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, because distinctions dissolve in the joy of Christ, of that place that comes into being because of free trade, trade that is costly, unconstrained, mutually beneficial. So if it is as though God were a free trader, free trader. To live joyfully with God and others, we must become free traders ourselves. To be with God, most simply, we must do what God does. The master in the story invests his talents just as the servants invest them. The service that the servants provide is not subservience, it's mimicry. In John's Gospel, Jesus washed his disciples' feet and told them, Servants are not greater than their master, so you too, sir, you too, disciples, ought to follow my example and wash each other's feet. The example we have is the life we are to give and live. And this is why it's so important for us to be clear about what we say we are seeing or looking for when we look and see God. The third servant in the story saw the master is harsh. 
And note that it was indeed harshness that that servant found. And it was a harsh life that he lived, isolated, cast away into the outer darkness. Because he hid the great gift of the talent. The other servants perceived their master to be generous, and so they lived in generosity. Life was more generous to them. I came that you would have life and have it abundantly, said Jesus. So tell me, asks Mary Oliver, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What will you and we make of all these talents? That depends on what we are looking for and what we do and who we follow. Often when we preach, we use the lectionary. You'll hear that term from time to time, the lectionary. It's the schedule of readings uh, for churches, not just Presbyterian, but others, to use as the basis of the Sunday sermon. And often, as it is the case this Sunday, the timing of what is paired with a certain Sunday seems to have a certain amount of divine inspiration. Because today, when we have this parable of the talents a story of people, of people taking their great gifts and risking them and risking the kind of free trade that will multiply those gifts to the, benefit, to the benefit of so many parties. On the same week that we have learned of the departure of our cherished colleague and cherished pastor, Casey, and weeks after we have heard of the pending retirements of our talent-rich pastoral care coordinator, Eileen Jinks, and business administrator, Nancy B. Though we mean it when we say we are happy for each of them, we do feel sadness. And that sadness is right. It is good. Because it honors how much we have meant to one another and how much we have valued and treasured the time that we have shared. With all of these departures here, you might ask, is it in the water? It is in the water. We are claimed, not blamed, in the font where the living waters of God show us the one who freely traded for us a precious and costly gift the gift of life that risks death, the gift of engagement over withdrawal, the gift of compassion over judgment and generosity over harshness. This gift is not constrained. It does not draw us inward, but sends us out, always with an eye to risking the responsibility of investing fully in this one wild and precious life that we each have been given to live according to our own circumstances. For some of us, investing that gift may mean something drastic, like moving or taking a new job. I hesitate to share that it was a sermon on this text 19 years ago or so that caused me to leave my corporate lobbying job where I advocated for free trade (laughs) to go to seminary and become an advocate for something else. 
But I hope you do not hear this, each of you, as some call to leave where you are, do something bold and drastic because you have to be all in and carpe diem and all those things. Maybe. Maybe. But I really think that investing in our talents and being free traders of them occurs in a simple way every day. An everyday effort to mimic the master who shared joy by opening himself to give what he had to give. Maybe that's answering the phone when somebody calls instead of letting it go to voicemail. Maybe that's taking a walk outside when you'd otherwise rather stay in. Consider, though, becoming a free trader to risk responsibility despite the opportunity for cost. We who have been entrusted with this this great gift in Casey and in others must be willing, as Larry said, to give that gift to others, to entrust it to the congregation that that she will soon serve, where we know, just as she did here, she will there turn ones into twos, twos into fours, fives into tens. For when we take what we have been given and trade freely with it, as God has and will do with and through each of us, We honor the one who invites us to enter into his house of joy. Not separate as a servant, but united as friend. And it is that home that we will forever share with those who come and with those who go. For it is as if. Amen.